and welcome to the Patmos podcast. Thank you for joining us, and I'd like to um, thank everybody who has been listening so far and sharing. And I also invite you, I don't have any advertisers or anything to hawk other than uh, we do have a community that we are starting. Um, it's on the Locals platform, so if you go to O-Z-Y-M-A-N-D-I-A-S, ozymandias.locals.com, and you'll be able to get onto the, the uh, Locals community there. Um, I'm starting to post more things there, updates on the chapel, um, started to post some things about how to start a prayer life, things like that, if you are interested and wish to contribute. Um, it is $2 a month is the Locals bare minimum. I couldn't convince them to let me uh, have some sort of free period. Uh, it's free to join, free to read uh, and like, but you cannot uh, comment, unfortunately, or post unless you pay for that. I'm looking at other options as well, but I do like uh, locals as far as for a mix between being outside of the Silicon Valley uh, centralization as well as having uh, the features that I like to have. Uh, today's episode is going to be about what do traditional Christians do, right? Uh, we seem to be completely on uh, the ropes, per se, uh, in the culture wars, and we are living within a culture, especially in the West, that is increasingly uh, not only not Christian, but um, very much antithetical and uh, hostile towards anybody who is uh, professes any sort of belief that resembles anything what anybody pre-1920 uh, to 1950 would have considered Christianity to be. Uh, of course, I'm coming from a Catholic perspective, but uh, anybody within orthodoxy, as well as um, conservative Protestantism, will also know what I'm talking about. Now, there are a couple options that have been kind of presented as possibilities, and um, I've been thinking a lot about what that is and what to do and the best options because everybody is going to have different situations um, that they that they're currently present in and it's all going to depend on your family your job your ability to move your income things like that uh, but i think that the traditional christians are, are basically faced with with a very few options one uh, you stay where you were at uh, if you're lucky enough to have uh, a parish, a, a church that still holds to true traditional Christian values, uh, th th that's a good reason to stay uh, where you are at. But within that option, you would be forced to increasingly be pushed to the margins. At some point, uh, your ethics, your morals, your ability to actually be a witness uh, will be tested. And you won't have the freedom that you do now to kind of still continue to roughly live that sort of life and continue to maintain the same friendships and same ability to participate and the same ability to practice your faith freely as you do now. I think it's very important uh, that we all get that and understand where we are heading uh, so I guess maybe that's it's a better way to start off the episode so it's easier for people to understand why I am presenting these sorts of options and 
perhaps with that information make a better decision for yourself this is not some uh, apocalyptic talk i am not trying to put forward an idea that we are facing end times uh, i'm be, always be very wary of anybody especially who goes well we're we're definitely heading towards end times or you know look at this specific thing this is you know this is the third seal right or this is the this must be the trumpet that they were speaking of in the, the book of revelation uh, or the book of apocalypse if you read a uh, pre-modern era or i should say a pre-1950 bible um but where we're headed is not good and it's not going to become any easier. Uh, I do personally hold to the idea of, uh, within Catholicism, uh, there's a quite a few number of mystics and seers and um, not necessarily prophets, because uh, that's that's kind of a more of an official biblical title. Uh, the church does not believe that, uh, basically since the end of the New Testament, that there's any... Any revelation that you are required to believe it. Now, the prophets of the Old Testament, things that Christ said, the book of Revelation, the book of the Apocalypse, um, those are all requirements of belief for all Catholics. We have to believe that. Um, of course, there's a lot more than that, but we do have to believe that those are literally the, the words of God and that is divine truth revealed to humanity. After that time, after that time, uh, there's been uh, a number of mystics and you know, people who were given prophetic visions, uh, even apparitions of the, the Blessed Mother and of Christ that have foretold of events. Now, the church does say, for instance, something like uh, the apparitions of Fatima or Lourdes, um, St. John Vianney, uh, you know, the folks like this, uh, Blessed Catherine Emmerich, they have all kind of given the stamp of from the church saying that they are legitimate um, and they are worthy of belief, basically. And, and the church's official position is these are worthy of belief. We find no reason they, they don't um, they don't violate anything biblically, anything within tradition, as in there's nothing here that's kind of forking the belief of Christianity that, that's counter to anything that we've ever believed before. Uh, and they believe it to be true. But, you know, as a Catholic, you can absolutely reject Fatima, Lourdes, uh, any of these uh, people's visions of the future, and still be in good standing with the church. Now, if you reject, you know, the, the real presence in the Eucharist, if you reject things like uh, uh, priestly celibacy, if you reject... Uh, things like traditional marriage and those types, then then you are not in good standing and you are uh, a, a heretic, really. Not, yeah, you're a heretic. So with these, these are private revelations. Um, there is no requirement from the church to actually have to believe this. But on the other hand, the church also says that uh, th this is worthy of belief and um, countless you know, popes and saints uh, throughout the ages since these individuals or uh, the Blessed Mother through these apparitions has given these visions. Um, they are 
worthy of belief and, and worthy of your consideration at the very least. And many of them talk about, it kind of varies, but it kind of basically goes in a line like this of, there's a, a minor chastisement. Um, Catherine Emmerich described it as three days of darkness, and this would be followed by uh, some sort of rebirth of faith or of the church in some way under some guise, and then followed by the great chastisement. Um, something that we can't really imagine um, that very well could be aligning with things that were foretold in the book of Apocalypse, um, which is actually the name of the podcast comes from um, St. John's uh, was exiled to Patmos Island in Greece. And that was actually the island where he received those, those visions that were written down and recorded in the book of the Apocalypse. Uh, but anyways, they, they talk about this this idea, and I, I have become inclined to believe that we are starting to enter into a period that will lead up to that minor chastisement. Uh, we're definitely going to be moving into a time of, of persecution for Christians. Um, that is going to, a lot of it's going to be using soft power. In the past, a lot of times when we hear about persecutions, when we hear about martyrdoms, and we think back to, you know, Christians being thrown to the lions, or, you know, uh, I remember when my wife and I on our honeymoon visited the uh, St. Calixtus catacombs outside of Rome. Uh, it was very interesting. It, the soil is volcanic, so when you dig into it, it's like topsoil. and uh, But once the air hits it, it begins to harden and almost turns, Just it feels like stone in a way. And it was perfect for catacombs because you dig down um, and just kind of dig steps. And then as it, it was as it would harden, then you start to dig these little cutouts in the side. And then they would keep on going farther and farther down and then dig these tunnels and all these catacombs out there. And um, there were numerous spots where, you know, there were early popes that were martyred down there, Roman soldiers, uh, where they were doing... Um, black market masses, illicit masses that were outlawed by the state. Uh, St. Cecilia was martyred uh, there as well. And we like to think of that hard power as being the hallmark of martyrdoms, of persecutions, and it's not that that can't happen. Even in more recent times um, within Russia, the Russian Orthodox uh, church and the Christians there experienced a massive amount of persecution and martyrdoms. Um, massive amount within the 20th century. It was probably the largest century for persecution and martyrdoms of, of Christians uh, since the earliest days. And probably in numbers, probably more. Uh, just because the earliest days, there, there was not millions and millions and millions of Christians everywhere. And we like to think of that hard power, and it's not that that can't happen. Like, you know, like I was just saying, it, it happened not very long ago, uh, within the last hundred years. But it, we're definitely entering a period of soft power, uh, of, of soft persecution. And by that, I mean where it's not just, well, I, you know, you feel weird to wear a cross at church or something, or at, at, at work, um, but you will start to see where employers will start to not want to hire people who are actually professing Christians, not, 
yeah, I go to church, but, you know, I do whatever, right? Like, actually, people are going to hold to it, and they're going to start implementing policies that are going to be required for your ability to work at all or in certain industries or for certain companies. You will have to, um, almost very similar to Roman times, where you'll have to make you will have to make offerings to foreign gods. And by that, we mean the, the Church of Woke, which is becoming the dominant religion of the West, or already has become the dominant religion of the West, if we talk about it in terms of power and who actually has the ability to sway culture and who has the ability to um, implement um, legislation and uh, push corporations around to get what they want. I would say that they are the dominant religion at least at this point. And you will begin to have to make uh, offerings to these gods. And we kind of already see that now where you have to go through mandatory trainings. Um, You will have to go through mandatory trainings that require, you know, tests and whatnot where the correct answer will be something that you absolutely do not believe. Uh, Things like vaccine passports for those who believe that using medicines that are derived from the cells of murdered children is immoral uh, or already starting to face that sort of thing but it's only going to ramp up from here we're not seeing some sort of peak and and a slowdown with this it's only going to get faster and harder and more difficult and come at us at a quicker pace and whether this minor chastisement thing that i was talking about that uh, some have foretold that this is you know i i don't i don't believe that this is it Um, that it's in the next week or the next month. As with all things prophecy, it's very difficult to tell exactly when these things are because sometimes the lead-ups and and what are given as um, things to look out for can also be seen if you look in other places. Um, The important part to remember is with anything that the the end of the world is not something to be feared. Uh, Martyrdom is not something to be feared if your soul's in a state of grace and you are in good standing with God. That it doesn't matter whether it's cancer in a year or whether it be, you know, martyrdom in a week or a heart attack tonight. That these sorts of things really shouldn't matter to us. The reason that they bother us, the reason that they worry us is because we are ourselves. That is, that is a, in a way, a voice of God telling us you're not ready and you need to get ready, right? It doesn't matter when your ticket finally gets punched. But anyway, so, you know, as with anything prophetic, it's hard to tell, but like I said, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. We should always be acting as though it's right around the corner. But as these things start to ramp up, it's going to get more and more difficult uh, for traditional Christians to operate. Uh, at first, it's it's going to hit traditional Christians first. Because as legislation and the ideology, the, the tenets, the theology of the Church of Woke starts to get pushed deeper and deeper and... First Amendment questions are no longer really considered, right? Because there's already the, you know, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, right? Or you can't sacrifice a human being, right? This is one of the laws that you could say maybe abridges uh, this or something, even with a willing participant. 
So these sorts of examples will be brought up. Well, we don't allow this. Why would we allow intolerance? Why would we allow the bigotry? Why would we allow um, things that are uh, bad for a society, that hurt society, to actually still be perpetuated? And so first, they will root out the weak ones. They will make this law. They will see who follows it, who doesn't. The very progressive liberal, you know, the Unitarian Universalists are not in any, if you are a Unitarian Universalist, you're not in any way, shape, or form need to be worried about your church being closed down or yourself being persecuted because you are already basically a uh, just a minor denomination within the Church of Woke already. But it'll be the, they'll be able to start identifying the, the people who will not submit. And then they'll start to filter those people out by threatening to take away 5013C status, tax-exempt status. That is a very big carrot that can be removed from especially larger churches like the Catholic Church. The idea that bishops uh, all around the country are, you know, will be faced with if you do not start to implement these sorts of policies, if you do not start to not only not talk about how traditional Christian beliefs um are you know like it basically just don't say what you what your faith says it does but also you're going to need to start actually teaching the ideology of the church of woke which is antithetical and we already start to see that with people like father james martin who go around doing building bridges and saying that your lifestyle is perfectly fine it's perfectly compatible with catholicism which anybody who really has ever picked up a catechism or a bible will know that there's no way that that fits in regardless of what you think about that it does not fit in and it, it never can because that would be calling into question and calling over 2000 years of teaching false um but they will start to do that they'll start to dangle out well if you don't we'll revoke your status then they'll start revoking statuses and those who don't comply by then then they'll start to push on them audits uh, raids, sus suspe uh, suspicion of this, suspicion of that, uh, suspicion of abuse, suspicion of child neglect, or whatever it may be, against anybody who is seen as being some sort of figurehead for these churches. Um, and then at that point, that's when they will get, you know, be getting arrested for breaking these laws, and uh, they will be made examples of. And I think that we don't have a lot of options. One is stay where you are and hold out as long as you can, and hopefully you can make it through. Um, there's the option of going underground, per se. This happens in China. There's the official Catholic Church and the underground Catholic Church, that actually the Vatican picks the bishops as it should be versus the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, there's underground Protestant churches and official Protestant churches in China. The underground ones who actually hold the tenets of the faith and are in communion with Rome or in Protestant um, um, circles are actually holding true to their faith and their beliefs uh, are, are having to conduct these services, these masses, underground at people's houses. And this has been done throughout all of church history. It's only been in more recent times or the more latter half of church history where it's become normalized and we haven't had to, to hide out as much. Another option is something that Rod Dreher has talked about, the Benedict option, 
I really recommend people read both of his books, The Benedict Option and Live Not by Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. In the second book, he talks about individuals, uh, especially um, Father, oh, now I forget his name. He was a Czech priest. And he saw the writing on the wall in the 30s. Uh, he saw that there was, you know, communism was on the rise, Nazism was on the rise. And eventually it was going to come to the Czech Republic and that the church would be persecuted. The church would be underground or pushed underground. So he started to form basically cells of youth um, and to instilling the faith very deeply in them and creating networks of these cells so that they could, you know, print pamphlets. They could have underground masses, underground uh, uh, faith communities that could withstand it and to his credit, the Czech Republic is, compared to other, especially Eastern uh, European countries, probably the best off in, in terms of um, the the faith. And, you know, where you look at uh, somewhere like East Berlin, where it's, you know, it's just completely cratered. Even after the Soviets left, their, their damage was done. They did not have this sort of preparation. And there's a lot of other stories like that. It's it's kind of a manual for how did these dissidents, these Christian dissidents in the in the past and in the very recent past, uh, be able to survive these uh, persecutions. His first book, The Benedict Option, was a different uh, style. It was a this was written I don't even know how many years ago, but uh, one of the thoughts or that it's the whole book was this concept of the Benedict option where he talks about St. Benedict. He was a layman. He was actually, he wasn't a, uh, a priest and he was kind of becoming disgusted with the secularism, uh, with the corruption uh, in the world around him in Italy and Nursia, uh, both the civil authorities and the church. And he ended up just basically creating the modern monastic movement there were monastics prior more mystics than anything else the desert fathers a lot of them would um, take off to the deserts they would go into isolation by themselves uh, where saint benedict kind of created this idea of christian community uh, but different than just like we're gonna have a town and there's gonna be a church there but this idea of a very uh, strict lifestyle. The rule of St. Benedict is actually really not that long. Um, it's it's a pretty short read, actually, but it's very to the point. And the idea was to nurse these little bubbles of pure Christianity, of people who are really dedicated and living the faith out in every waking moment and every breath that they took. And the idea was, and it did work, because monasticism really kind of saved the church and saved Western Europe in that it, it was a lot of the, the renewals after these periods of corruption would come out of the monasteries. These monasteries, which were not corrupted by the outside world because they shunned it. They pushed the outside world outside of their walls and they lived the life of Christ within their walls. And they made sure that the corruption and evil was not getting in. Uh, not to say that there wasn't ever corruption inside monasteries, but uh, monasteries by and large have, have been over and over and over again. This idea of as the world corrupts around them, more people are drawn to them 
Uh, more young men are drawn and, and young women uh, to the cloisters and drawn to this life. And then from these centers of purity, they began to expand back out and basically re-evangelize, reconvert, you know, the fallen away. And Rod uh, Dreher's uh, thesis is the ideas of forming almost intentional communities, not necessarily monastic celibate communities, but these intentional Christian communities where people who hold a traditional view, and by traditional view, I mean like the correct view of Christianity, um, of holding to the tenets that would have been recognized and holding and, and uh, of holding and living out the creeds that have been lived by and professed by Christians since forever, uh, would they, that they would all recognize and, and to um, basically form the, these intentional communities and throughout the country where you can kind of ride out the storm that's coming. And I, I, I'm a big fan of the idea. Uh, the, the problem I have with that is that this has been tried. And there, there are some places where you actually do see this. I can't remember if it's in Connecticut or Massachusetts. I can't remember uh, the exact. It's on the East Coast. It's not where you'd expect necessarily to find a traditional Catholic community. But it's a bunch of families of traditional Catholics, uh, for the most part traditional Catholics, that have started to move into this town. And they kind of form this community where... You know, the mothers during the day, they have, you know, they go over to each other's houses and they pray rosaries and and all that. The problem is if you want to move and go like, OK, well, let's all move to, you know, northern Idaho or let's all move to, you know, southern Montana or something like that. I mean, that's it's great for a location uh, that the culture of Montana, the culture of Idaho is going to be one of the last ones. It will be one of the last bastions of holding it out at a, at a civil level. But, you know, the problem is always economics. The monasteries, the reason that there was always these constant renewals um, out of the monasteries is because the monasteries over time began to acquire more and more land, right? And land is was then as it is now a source of power. And they were able to have these lands and then hire people, provide employment to work the lands, to raise livestock, to plant crops, all these sorts of things, sell those, you know, and as they made more money, they would be able to build larger monasteries and uh, provide for more brothers and monks and hire more local people. And these people, being as close as they were to the, the monasteries, were, of course, affected by them. And that's where the monasteries kind of got their power and their ability to project that power and that influence um, farther and farther outward from where they were located. Problem is now is like monasteries don't, you know, especially in the in the United States, just don't have the land holdings. Uh, in Europe, a lot of that is all gone. Uh, the monasteries are still there, but they don't necessarily have the same land holdings and power. I think in the future it's going to be a very good thing, and and really any monasteries out there should really be starting to buy up. Um, arable land that they can. There's Bill Gates is not the largest private landholder with I don't even know how many millions of acres that he has now of farmland, but he's not doing that because he just likes the idea of being able to run a ranch. He's doing that because he understands where things are going, and I think that monasteries would be you know, very smart to start doing that to be able to offer these services later and be able to accumulate power and wealth 
around centers of Christendom to be able to project out as well. You know, like I said, though, the, the problem is, is jobs. So you move your family out there, what are you going to do? There's not a monastery there where you can go, well, I can go raise cattle, as though many people here even, you know, that are listening would even know what to do, um, myself included. I know, I know a little bit about cows, but not enough where I'd feel uh, able to actually run a farm uh, on my own. So the, the issue is always providing economic employment. Uh, I think it is possible to do things... Uh, to create some sort of communities where there's some sort of industry in the area that could be retooled. But it's very difficult. I don't have any sort of specific guidance on how to do that. But I think it's smart for people to start to look and start to network uh, with other people of their faith and start to go, you know, where's somewhere that we could go? And then go, well, what about, you know, this area? You know, there's already a traditional, you know, there's already a... Uh, a traditional Latin mass parish area, you know, in that area, you know, what's available. Oh, well, they got this industry or they got this industry or whatever, whatever it may be. And if you can find enough people start, I, I, I would, I think that that's a better way. I mean, th there is an argument to be made of staying where we are, of starting to evangelize, uh, when I say it like that, to evangelize within our diocese. And now I'm more speaking towards the Catholics to start pushing traditional belief back into our diocese, to start off by going, hey, can we have a Latin mass said maybe once a month or whatever? And by doing that, you know, you can sh show and get a bunch of people to show up, show that it's popular, show that people want it, and then try to get it every week, maybe once on Sunday, instead of having three uh, masses said in the local language, um, maybe have two and then one extraordinary form or in the Latin math. And then start to get involved in your parish council. Start, start to stack the deck there. Start to push, the, you know, instead of having the, you know, the Karen who's going like, well, I think we need more thimble dancing um, during the holy sacrifice of the mass. It's a real thing, the liturgical dance. That was more of a 70s and 80s thing. It kind of thankfully died out, but um instead of them being the ones who set or pretending to be the voice of the parish we may or it's an option for us to actually be the voices in the parishes and start to turn those parishes around start to you know actually do this over a period of time and everyone out there i, I, I can't remember if this was in a post that i wrote or if it was on a, a previous talk but we can't. We have to understand this is a generational project. We are not going to see in the next six months to a year to eighteen months some sort of revival of traditional pre-Vatican II liturgy in our parishes, just because you know we got on the council, right? Or maybe us and another person. Well, there's you know there's six, eight, ten other people or whatever on there, and you still have what kind of bishop do you have? Um, what kind of priest do you have? But this is a generational thing. We, you know, if you are going to go down this route, which is a possibility of starting to push this, then we we have to understand this is going to be a long haul. It's not going to turn around anytime soon. It took a long time to get here. It's going to take a long time to get back. I think that is one option. Stay where we are. Start to rebuild. Start to form strongholds where we are. Don't give up the ground. But 
I think that that has some, the, the downsides are is one, it splits up. It splits up the power instead of having one, you know, having five or six areas, let's say, of larger populations and a lot more power over what goes on over there. Now you have a hundred or a thousand areas with a nominal amount where your voice doesn't really matter. That's one of the downsides. One of the other downsides too is that if you are constantly surrounded with the world, you are more likely to be tempted by it. And then things like despair start to set in where you see more and more setbacks. Things get harder for you and your family. You start to not be able to maybe pay a bill or bills. You lose your job. And this type of despair can lead people to just give up. Now, of course, we would implore anyone listening to never let that happen to them. That there there is no guarantee with this that anything that we ever do um, will be rewarded in this life. But we know that we are accumulating treasure that's not on this world. And that every persecution, every bother, every annoyance, every setback, everything that just makes you go like, what am I doing? Every bit of suffering is for God. And you are going to suffer no matter what you do. Atheism would be a very, very, it would be something that, that you know, like would be very, you know, something worthy of consideration and very attractive option. If it was like, well, if you just stop being a Christian, if you stop being a Christian, you won't have to suffer anymore. And you go, oh, okay, great. And there's no more suffering now if you become an atheist. But it's not true. It doesn't matter. It does not matter whether you start to practice Zen Buddhism, you convert to Islam, you become an atheist, you become a Zoroastrian. It doesn't matter. You're always going to suffer. The question is, do you want to suffer for a reason? And do you want to use that suffering to better yourself? Do you want to use your suffering to glorify God? Or do you want it to be for absolutely nothing? Every bit of suffering that we have is the sanctification, is a... Is, uh, is another opportunity to become a saint. And it doesn't make it easier. It's easier said than done, of course. But if we go into it with that mindset of looking for and praying for the gift of joyful suffering, which is something I, I've been kind of graced with uh, over the last you know three months or so, of, the, of a deeper understanding of what that means. It doesn't mean that I, I don't get bothered or whatever. Of course I do, but uh, I've very much been able to turn a lot of these things into what I call joyful suffering. Um, but that is, that is a danger, right? When you live, when you live, when you live with the Romans, it's, it's, it's hard to not become a Roman. So that's the downsides of that. The Benedict option is, uh, you know, it has the, the, the plus sides of now you are in a intentional faith community of a bunch of people around you, a bunch of people hold your, your faith, as strongly as you do a bunch of people to hold you accountable if you start to backtrack if you start to have issues if you start to fall into sin right a lot of the it's so very helpful it's the same way as like having a gym partner right because if you have a gym partner it makes it a lot harder for you to go like eh, i'm not gonna go today uh, i'm only gonna do two sets instead of the four right because that person's there one you feel a shame a level of shame by by even attempting to not live up to what 
you said that you're going to do. Um, but they're also there to, to hold you accountable for what you both have said that you want to accomplish. It has that. It has the ability to kind of uh, consolidate uh, defense, consolidate wealth, all these sorts of things. But when you do consolidate yourselves and you are the minority enemy, uh, you give your your enemies when you give the larger force a, a very easy target because now it's there they are versus we don't necessarily know where all these people are right or they're all around you know they're here and they're there and they're up on fifth street and they're over there right where now it's like oh they're in these five spots that's been one of the the um, um theories about why uh francis as pope francis has not come down on the on the latin mass and uh, offered and actually extended uh more um faculties to the society of saint pius x uh, as well as hasn't come down on uh, the uh, fssp and ickspp uh, the the two different priestly fraternities that are, are in communion with rome offering latin masses the uh, fraternity of saint peter and the uh, institute of christ the king's sovereign priest is that one of the conspiracies is that well they're actually just pushing all these people into all the traditionalists, all the Latin mass people into these communities, right? Not of the diocese, so they stop causing trouble. And then at some point, they'll just pull the plug and say, nope, all done, right? Now they've gotten all the changes they wanted in the diocese. Now they've made all these sorts of changes that they wanted to. But that's just a conspiracy. I don't necessarily give any credence, but it, it it's not outside the realm of possibility. But that's the problem with consolidation is now you've pulled out any influence that you had, any of those kind of like roadblocks that you would have had in these communities, in these parishes, in these places that had once been places of faith, places of, of just abundant, joyful faith. Now, any of those little roadblocks that we, that you, that whoever out there would have been causing and kind of, oh, we want to do this, like, oh, no, whoa. Like that's that's pretty crazy, right? And then they go, okay, well, maybe not, but, but let's just do it like this little thing. Now there's none of that at all. And it's just them going, oh, yep. Yeah, yeah what's, we can do whatever we want. These people are gone. You know, all those fuddy-duddies. So I don't know what the perfect option is. You know, I've thought about, you know, talking with Vin, you know, like the, the, the concept of moving to Saipan is very appealing. But... You know, one, it, it, it's, a, it's a job situation of what would I do and provide for my family. Um, two, it's it, just moving and having to, you know, to have those conversations with my, with my wife would be difficult. And then um, three, I just, I haven't felt that pull. I, I feel like having prayed on it a lot, I, I, I haven't felt a pull to leave. And I believe that God would put that on my heart or if he felt that it was necessary or or the option or the the option that he wanted me to take so i don't have the answer i think that everybody's got to kind of make that decision for themselves and i think that um i don't cast aspersions on anybody no matter what they decide to choose but um whether or not you decide to consolidate whether you know form these little uh kind of semi-lay monastic communities of of that um 
Christianity can then, you know, re-evangelize out of or to stay and, and, and try to fight it out. Uh, yeah, that's for, that's for each of you to figure out. I, like I said, I recommend you getting uh, the Benedict Option and Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher, D-R-E-H-E-R. And thank you for listening. Please head over to our locals community, uh, O-Z-Y-M-A-N-D-I-A-S, ozymandias.locals.com. And hope to see you. Hope to see you next episode. And please uh, head over to Twitter. Um, I'm at Paracelsus Burns over there. Uh, please leave comments on the YouTube, reviews on iTunes, all that normal podcast stuff that everybody on every podcast you listen to says. So... I really appreciate it. Thank you, and God bless.